This is Unfilter, episode 188, for May 16th, 2016. Welcome back. The CIA's Inspector General's Office, which is supposed to act as a watchdog for the agency, well, it's either mysteriously or mistakenly destroyed its copy of the Senate report on CIA torture. Remember, this here is Unfiltered episode 188, and it's true, we just couldn't quit you. I said we wouldn't be here this week, but so much has happened, and producer Matt has a whole slew of clips, so your Unfiltered show had to show up and deliver. So this week, we have a lean, mean, and micro edition of the Unfiltered show. Episode 188 is going to be just a few headlines that have managed to crop up since now and last Wednesday's episode. My thinking was, let's get some of these in front of you now, so that way when we join you next week for a full episode, you're up to date, we've cleared our palettes, as it were, <laughs> and uh, we can begin a whole new news cycle. Because this new this news news cycle, I'm going to be honest with you, <clears throat> I'm the first guy who, who calls the mainstream out for being like uh, carried away with Trump or whatever like that. But this week, I'm enjoying it. I'm legitimately enjoying it. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I'm going to share you. I'll share with you some of the clips that I'm really enjoying. I mean, we have like legitimate, like seriously hard hitting news to cover too. But when it gets into the election and some other clips that we have coming up, I, I've been I've been just dying to share this with you guys. Uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, Mr. Chase isn't joining me. We're early and not on our regular day this week. It was a total surprise unfiltered, and uh, I I think he's probably still on the road right now as I record this episode. But like I said, we wanted to get something for you. And since we're going to be off the air Wednesday, this is what we get. Just me. Well, me and the news, which is really what you're here for, isn't it? So let's start with this extremely weird clip. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I don't think a lot in the media did either because it didn't really get much airtime. And that's why what you're about to see is essentially just the raw feed. Uh, and then we'll talk about sort of ramifications of these statements. In Raqqa, we, we have seen uh, this declaration of emergency in in Raqqa. So uh, this is a, uh, there is a press conference that the different uh, government divisions give out. This is Colonel Steve Warren, uh, and he's part of the anti-ISIS coalition, the U.S. part of it, and uh, he's speaking at the Department of Defense in a web stream, like a hangout. It's only, you know, the government version of a hangout, so it's worse. And uh, he says that ISIS, as an organization, which I know it's horrible. It's just a horrible audio. Again, this is your tax dollars at work to the largest military in the freaking world in the history of man, and this is their audio. But that's a totally different rant. What I want you to pay attention to is the declared state of this ISIS organization. Or I'm sorry, Raqqa. We we have seen uh, this declaration of emergency in in Raqqa, um, whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> whatever that means. We know this enemy feels threatened, uh, as they should. We've, we've, you know, I've detailed all the strikes that uh-huh. we've done there yeah. over time. We're badass. They see the Syrian Democratic Forces, along with the Syrian Arab Coalition, uh, uh, maneuver uh, both to their east and to their west, you know. And, and There's an edit there. To, to the west, uh, and the Tishreen Dam, yeah. to the east, uh, Shadadi. Uh, and both of these areas uh, becoming increasingly secure, and the Syrian Democratic Forces increasingly able to 
to generate their own combat power in those areas. Uh, so certainly we, we are seeing some reactions to this. We've, we've had reports of, of ISIL repositioning uh, both their you know, combat capabilities uh, against what they think may be coming next. Uh, and we've seen this, reports of them repositioning personnel. I would not be surprised if the reason they're holding this press conference, and I, I'm admitting right up front, I'm frying some bacon here, and this is just some local bacon I grabbed at the Safeway by, by the studio. Just some cheap crap, really salty. And I'll, I, I, maybe, I, maybe I'm on the wrong track here. But to me, the timing of this seems interesting, and I can't help but to feel that this is perhaps related to the 2016 election. And if maybe nothing else, it's to strengthen the current Obama position, which in turn strengthens Hillary's position and weakens Donald Trump's. You know, if, if Donald Trump can say ISIS is raging like crazy and we're going to go in there and knock the hell out of them, it's a much more convincing argument if the rash and experienced Hillary Rodham Clinton, a.k.a. Hill Dog, were to say, well, as the military has reported, we, uh, President Obama's plan is succeeding and now the uh, forces there are beginning to function on their own. Uh, you, th- these things happen in, a, in a, a nice, timely fashion so that way they are citable as proof a month or two later. When we've all forgotten this headline, these statements that this man just made, true or not, will be cited as proof. That's my little uh, conspiracy bacon about it. Maybe I'm just feeling in the conspiracy mood. Because it seems to be, it seems to me now, I don't really know. You know, let's, uh, hey, let's, let's do a little experiment here. Uh, I got my Nexus 5X. Let's just try this. Let's just see what it, Okay, Google. Define conspiracy. Conspiracy, a secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful. Okay, so I think I'm in a conspiracy mood tonight, especially after a report about the Saudis' involvement in 9-11. Saudi government officials were involved in supporting the 9-11 attackers. Oh, 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 okay. That is a rather um, bold and direct statement. Okay, all right. How, how, what else? Could, we, could maybe we take another track on this? Welcome back to Lean Up, Jake Tapper. Time now for our world lead. They are considered a critical ally in the Middle East, but today one former 9-11 investigator is accusing some in the Saudi Arabian government of playing a part in the worst terrorist attack on American soil. That bombshell allegation coming from John Lehman, a Republican member of the 9-11 Commission. Those comments sparking renewed calls for the Obama administration to uphold the president's promise to 9-11 victims' family members and declassify portions of a prior congressional inquiry into the attacks known as the 28 Pages. Ah, the 28 pages. Now, uh, I wasn't sure. Uh, Obama went to Saudi Arabia. He made good over there as much as he could. I thought maybe that was some sort of pre-negotiation pressure that they were using the media to put the message out there as sort of warming them up, as it were, for his arrival to talk. But that's come and gone. So what's this all about? There's some real uh, smoke here to this here fire is what I now say. And, uh, you know, the one thing I'll, I'll say, I, I am that guy, by the way. I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't buy the book of the 9-11 Commission report. I got the audio book for free. You know, I listened to the audio version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm that guy. Yeah, I listened to the 9-11 Commission on audio book. And I specifically remember them using some very, very uh, – you might say lawyerish 
<laughs> not to use a Trumpism, Trumpism, but I mean, really, like just super slimy, loopholey language about Saudi Arabia's involvement. That I remember thinking, boy, that seems like that needs more discussion. Which document potential Saudi support to the hijackers. Let's get right to CNN's chief national security correspondent, Jim Shudo. Jim, the 9-11 Commission report said that they found no evidence that the Saudi government or officials funded by uh, funded al-Qaeda directly. No direct evidence, but... No direct evidence that Saudi officials or the government were directly involved. That's always seemed sort of like maybe the question should have been asked, and I'm just saying this, maybe this should have been asked a few years ago. Uh, Well, what about non-direct involvement? The Saudis have been citing that line as if it's an exoneration. It isn't really, though. It's not a complete exoneration, Secretary Lehman saying that. And he points to what he says is the qualified language of the 9-11 Commission's conclusion that it found, quote, and here's that statement, no evidence that the Saudi Uh government as an institution Uh or senior Saudi officials individually funded al-Qaeda, that leaving open the possibility that that other... so I, before he goes on, uh, I just want to read it again for you in case it went over. This was from the actual commission report. No evidence that the Saudi government as an institution or senior Saudi officials individually funded the organization. Did you, do you grasp the fact that we are playing the bullshit word game with the most horrific terrorism attack in the history of this country? We're playing legalese. With 9-11, where was the thing? We're, we're, we're playing the word game with, with the, one of the most horrific incidents in our country's history. That's, there is, that's a red flag. That's a red flag right there. And why haven't we asked more questions about this? Institution or senior Saudi officials individually funded al-Qaeda, that leaving open the possibility that, that other uh, lower-level officials or that perhaps this was not a policy decision, but there were people tied to the government. I.e. government officials funded through lower-level people and banks and whatnot to fund these people. They use their in- indirect stooges beneath them. They collectively did fund them. And there is evidence, says Lehman, that these 28 pages have some evidence that not just one or two, but as many as six individuals tied to the Saudi government. Now, I mean, I don't want to fry more bacon, but that shit sounds like a conspiracy, son. Had some ties to those Saudi hijackers. It's an allegation that has lingered almost since the moment the towers fell. That Saudi Arabia was somehow tied to the 9-11 attacks. Now, speaking to CNN by telephone, former 9-11 commissioner John Lehman says the classified 28 pages of a congressional report into 9-11 contain evidence that as many as six Saudi individuals supported al-Qaeda in the run-up to the attacks. Those individuals, he says, worked for the Saudi embassy in the U.S., Saudi charities, and a government-funded mosque in California. Lehman makes clear that the 28 pages, which are mostly FBI summary reports. You hear how he says that? The 28 pages. So when I I mentioned earlier, and you might have rolled your eyes, if you do, uh, that I thought maybe it was timing for Obama's trip to Saudi Arabia, that that's why we were getting all of this 28 pages stuff was to sort of grease the wheels of conversation. We're going to blow the lid off this big thing if you don't play ball, that kind of thing, right? And the reason why that so what sort of what sort of stuck out with me is when you watch a lot of media streams, a lot of media sources, you definitely notice that collectively they'll emphasize certain things. And the 28 pages, the 28 pages, I can't tell you how many times we have heard the 28 pages and going through clips from every news network. And so to me, it felt like that's that's sort of a message. It's messaging. Um, 
just like uh, patreon.com slash unfilter or uh, one of the promo codes. Here's the thing, for example. It's messaging that will say. It's messaging. You, you, when you're broadcasting, everything you put into the broadcast is done by intention. You don't just say things. You don't just write things and script things like that. So it seemed to me like it was some sort of some sort of mentioning, and it still feels that way. The twenty-eight pages. The twenty-eight pages contain evidence that as many as six Saudi individuals supported Al Qaeda in the run-up to the attacks. Those individuals, he says, worked for the Saudi embassy in the U.S., Saudi charities, and a government-funded mosque in California. Lehman makes clear that the 28 pages, which are mostly FBI summary reports, contain no smoking gun. And like the 9-11 Commission concluded, Lehman does not believe the Saudi government or any of its senior officials supported or were aware of the 9-11 plots. However, Lehman says that evidence of lower-level Saudi involvement was never sufficiently investigated and should now be, quote, vigorously pursued. Other Commission members... Why now? I mean, I don't disagree. And who's who's going to be the jackass that says we shouldn't pursue that if they're actually legitimately unbiased? Nobody's going to disagree we should pursue that. But but why now? Including former federal prosecutor Richard Benvenista are echoing Lehman's call. Uh, we would not be so arrogant as to think that we, with our limited time and resources, have investigated every single aspect that there is to look at in the 9-11 a disaster. When it completed its investigation in 2004, the 9-11 Commission concluded it found, quote, no evidence that the Saudi government... I like how many times we're seeing we're hearing this. ...as an institution or senior Saudi officials individually funded al-Qaeda. Saudi leaders have repeatedly cited that conclusion uh-huh. as eliminating the possibility of any official Saudi role. So we're good, we're good, we're good. Uh, just like they don't officially fund ISIS, Right. Just like they don't officially fund the anti-Assad regime and arm them, right? We don't officially do that either. Uh, so I want to go back to RT's take on it. Just We'll just play a little bit of it. It's interesting. Saudi government officials were involved in supporting the 9-11 attackers. That's according to a former member of an independent commission set up to investigate the terror attacks. He was one of the people who saw the unredacted final report. There was an awful lot of participation by Saudi individuals in supporting the hijackers, and some of those people worked in the Saudi government. RT's Gaine Chichikan oh. has more on the claims that have caused outrage since the final investigative report was issued in 2004. The former member of the 9-11 Commission, John Lennon, said the Commission had been aware of at least five Saudi government employees who were strongly suspected of involvement in the terrorist support network. Remember, it's been 12 years since the 9-11 Commission published their report. It was largely read as an exoneration of Saudi Arabia, which was home to 15 of the 19 hijackers on 9-11. I'll leave the rest of the clip in the overtime sink if you want to grab it. Uh, I thought that was just a kind of interesting to see their different... Uh, a different view of it, I suppose you could say. And then last but not least, this next clip is – go figure. This <laughs> The games the CIA has been playing, they're unaccountable. Nobody's – Welcome back. The CIA's Inspector General's Office, which is supposed to act as a watchdog for the agency, well, it's either mysteriously or mistakenly destroyed its copy of the Senate report on CIA torture. 
The Senate Intelligence Committee spent years investigating the CIA's torture tactics following 9-11. The entire report is 6,700 pages, but only about 500 pages have been declassified and released by the committee chair, Senator Dianne Feinstein. Now, to make sure the classified portion would not disappear, Feinstein had it distributed to a number of government agencies, including the CIA's Office of the Inspector General. So it sounds like only their copy of it has been deleted. Now she's calling on the CIA director to replace the destroyed copy immediately, a copy that apparently disappeared nearly a year ago, Uh according to Yahoo News. Well, I'm joined now by... So what's interesting about this, and I find it sort of unbelievable, is how... Remember how they were caught hacking the Senate um, investigators? They have lied about so many of the things that were in this report to begin with, the fact that they claim they weren't torturing, that it turns out they were, the fact that they claim that they weren't taking people overseas to private prisons, and yet they actually were. So many things around this entire report, they have been lying all along. I just really don't have any faith that this isn't some sort of shenanigans. Uh, and it's embarrassing for the CIA, nothing less. And it, it once again puts your good friend and our buddy, Diane Feinstein, Oh, oh, excuse me, oh, puts Diane Feinstein against uh, the CIA, which nobody wants that as an enemy. Thankfully, uh, as a little podcaster, uh, they don't, I don't think they're going to worry about what I say about them. But I think they are going to care what Diane Feinstein says about them. Remember, I said there were some clips I just couldn't wait to share with you. This is one of them. This is this is some good stuff. Uh, we got some North Korea coverage here, and uh, do you remember the uh, military chief that uh, Kim, the young reckless Kim Jong, uh, murdered at a rampage? Turns out he's not dead. Big party, in Lil Kim's hood. Lil Kim. Ah, uh, salute the dear leader. Thousands of people dancing in North Korea's Pyongyang Square. Marked the end of the country's first Congress since eight, uh, 1980. That seemed before Lil' Kim was born. North Koreans had reportedly been practicing for celebrations of this kind for weeks and weeks, just to get it exactly right for his greatness. Of course, they didn't really have a choice, because in North Korea, Lil' Kim didn't mingle with the people. He regularly starves, tortures, and oh. kills. Instead, he just looked at things. He likes to look at things. <laughs> he also reportedly hung out with North Korea's military chief, a guy the South Korean official said Lil' Kim executed months ago. But now it seems he is undead. <laughs> yeah, it's not just him, too. Uh, supposedly when he came into power, there's a big conflict between him and his sister. And his sister was going to end up running things secretly. Uh, turns out that was bogus, too. An enormous display of fanfare with cutouts of missiles, marchers waving cutouts. pink bouquets. Kim Jong-un strides confidently past his generals. Now, come on. Come on. If, if, if Obama's up on stage and he's got that walk, you know how he walks. Does, does, does this guy over at CNN say that same thing about Obama? Or when Justin Trudeau walks up on stage, do they say that mockingly? Pink bouquets. Kim Jong-un strides confidently past his generals, waves from a platform above the giant Kim Il-sung Square in Pyongyang. Hundreds chant their leader's name. the close of the Workers' Party Congress, where Kim is believed to have tightened his hold on power, sending a powerful message of the strength the leader wants to project. So the leader that they all revere as nearly a religious object uh, has strengthened and tightened his power. ...to have tightened his hold on power, uh-huh. sending a powerful message of the strength the leader wants to project. 
part of that new message is that this is a hip and modern regime, showcased by a performance of Kim's hand-picked all-girl band, Morenbaum. There were yearbook-style photos of Kim and his inner circle, Kim smiling broadly, a rare, apparently untouched image. At some level, they're trying to perhaps capture a bit of a sense of a personality. Here we go. Somebody from the Brookings Institute. Go ahead and Google that one if you'd like. Uh, And he is an expert because he's sitting in his office on a uh, Windows Vista computer, it looks like, with uh, a uh, not a full screen picture, just Windows Preview Image Viewer, whatever you call it, Windows Image Viewer. With uh, that yearbook picture of Kim just sort of in it, but not even maximized, like, I mean, not even like full screen, just kind of on his screen. And that makes him an expert. Uh, also, you can see his printer serial number for his IT department behind him, and he's got a Cisco phone. So this guy's got a tie. And, you know, Brookings Institute, they're not biased at all, so let's go with it. Uh, he's the only one who's smiling in all these pictures, and maybe he has reason to. <laughs> One of the photos is a surprise tonight. It's of General Ri Yong-gil, said by South Korean officials to have been executed in February. Term- Maybe South Korean officials were lying. Turns out he's now a member of the powerful Central Committee. Part of the pageantry, Not Kim dead. Jong-un's younger sister, what? Kim Yo-jong, seen collecting flowers for him at the parade finale. She, too, has been elevated to the Central Committee, according to the North Korean government. Now, this one that is fetching the flowers from him that he hands off to her as she runs around as his servant, that's the one that a year ago the mainstream media told you was running the whole operation and he was his, her puppet. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Kim Yo-jong is believed to be only about 28 years old, but has enormous influence in Kim's inner circle. Analysts say she works right in her brother's office, controls access to him, and manages all his events. She's going to make sure that um, all the schedule goes right and all the only pe- right people can see him. But also, she has uh, she's directly responsible for propaganda role. So really uh, showing, showcasing Kim Jong-un's image. Experts say By the Kim way, that was a former CIA employee, just so, you, just so you know. Older sister who also has his ear. Kim Sol Song operates in the shadows. There are no verifiable pictures of her. But she's seen as a mentor to Kim Jong-un and his younger sister, crucial to helping them develop relationships inside the treacherous halls of power. He's got Mm, to have people who he feels are going to be unquestionably loyal to him. Now he's got a picture of the sister. Uh, this guy's this guy's a real expert. Who are not going to undermine him, who are going to protect him under all circumstances. Kim has two other siblings who both he and his father have not trusted to be close to him. His older brothers, Kim Jong-nam and Kim Jong-chol, they were both passed over for the top leadership role, said to be not interested in the job. So why haven't they gotten other top positions? Well, unlike their sisters, analysts say, these two are seen as potential threats to Kim Jong-un, possibly creating rival power factions within the regime. So these two older brothers, Wolf, have kept their distance or have been forced to. You know, that's also probably totally BS, but also something, if it was true, they would never they would never air that kind of dirty laundry about Obama. You would never hear that. It's just it's really something how they how they love to to play it up to sort of take him down a notch. They just like to take him down a notch. They're constantly poking at him. Uh, okay, so now we're getting to my favorite stuff. This is I, I can't help it. I, I'm not you know, I I 
I Trump has been, I have really blown it on Trump. I'm not going to lie. I was going to try to say I, I I I but I totally miscalled Trump. I thought Trump would be out by now. I thought we'd have a much more boring Republican candidate in there by now. I thought we'd have, you know, another Romney. I'm sorry if you're a Romney fan. Many of my family were. I just I I he seemed like vanilla bread that never had a chance to me. Um just super 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 boring. And I'm that was just my my Production estimate. I, I, I found you know Obama's just a, in, just a, in, way better chances. Incumbent, just way more dynamic. Uh, just just was no chance. And you know I thought about this more now. And I realized where I went wrong. Of course, the dog was going into the hunt, and when the dog goes into the hunt, nobody was invited to go into the field. Literally, no candidates. Even Biden was told to sit out. Paul Ryan's passing. Everybody just sort of had to sit out. The Republican Party didn't invite anybody. So you ended up with all these guys that just, you know, are super ambitious, like Cruz and Rubio and Trump. So watching this from an analysis standpoint this week has really been fascinating because I'm sure you've all heard it because they're playing it like crazy. This whole Trump claims to be or Trump posing as his own publicist. Listening to the phone calls, it's so obviously Trump. It's just glorious to watch this. Tonight, a wild story about Donald Trump in a 1991 interview about his love life. The 25-year-old story is making headlines as the Washington Post goes digging through Trump's past and what it promises will be a series of reports uncovering every detail about his life. In moments, Howie Kurtz will join us on that. But first, John Roberts has the details. John? Well, Megan, back in 1991, People magazine writer Sue Carswell was looking for the scoop on Donald Trump leaving then-girlfriend Marla Maples for model Carla Bruni. When Carswell called Trump's headquarters, she was told that Trump wasn't available. A short time later, she received a call from a fellow who identified himself as John Miller, but sounded an awful lot like Donald Trump. What kind of comment is So you've probably heard all of this by now, and so I, I, I encourage you to stick around because uh, Megan is about to interview the reporter from the Washington Post that made this phone call back in the 90s. So in 1991, this reporter asked, what kind of comment is coming from you, you know, your agency, from Donald? From Donald. Uh, well, it's just that uh, he really decided that he wasn't, uh, you know, he didn't want to make the commitment. He didn't want to make a commitment. He really thought it was too soon. He is 25 years younger than today, but the New York accent, cadence of speech, and inflection on certain words does sound an awful lot like Trump. In fact, according to articles Carswell wrote at the time, gossip columnist Cindy Adams and Marla Maples herself identified the caller as Trump. Despite those historical assertions, which Trump must have known about, as Carswell says, he described it as a joke gone awry. He emphatically denied it was him. He admitted it back in the day and tried to play it off as a joke is what this guy's trying to tell you in an interview this morning. 
No, I don't think it. Uh, I don't know anything about it. You're telling me about it for the first time, and it doesn't sound like my voice at all. I have many, many people that are trying to imitate my voice, and uh, you can imagine that. And this sounds like one of the scams, one of the many scams. It doesn't sound like me. Super, super, super weak argument to begin with, and the media has ran with this all weekend long and now into this week. It has been ridiculous how much airtime they've gotten on this story. Trump has been in the headlines nonstop. CBS This Morning News opened with this as their story. It may be that Maples misidentified Trump 25 years ago, though given the fallout from the call which ended their relationship, Maples at that time seemed to be on pretty solid ground. Megan? (laughs) OMG, OMG, OMG. Whoever John Miller... Maybe we know one thing for sure. The reporter in that 1991 audio tape is right here with me. I need you to clip that for me. I'm real busy, especially this week, but I want to start getting a full soundboard of Megyn Kelly. I mean, a full soundboard, guys. I want like 20, 30 clips because Megyn Kelly's going big. And that OMG, 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 that is precious. Somebody could you send that in? Uh, put that in his MP3 and put it up like on SoundCloud or something somewhere we can download it and link it in the unfiltered subreddit. That would be a huge boon. Thank you. I would. I want to. I got to build it out, guys. I got to build it out. So yeah, like she says, she's got the original reporter from the early '90s in studio. We know one thing. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play it back for you again, so that way you can easily clip it for me because I'm a nice guy. Five years ago, though, given the fallout from the call which ended their relationship, Maples at that time seemed to be on pretty solid ground. Megan. OMG, OMG, OMG. Whoever John Miller may be, we know one thing for sure. The reporter in that 1991 audio tape is right here with me. Joining me now, Sue Carswell. She worked for People back when that tape was recorded, and now she's a research reporter for Vanity Fair. Sue, great to see you. Nice to see you, Megan. What the hell? What the hell, I'm hometown girl. <laughs> okay. So you believe it was Trump. He faked it. He faked being a, a well, PR person. Well, he apologized person. afterwards and said he was sorry. So he, he admitted to you. Yes. I mean, and another... Trust me, this there is a payoff to this. Phone call. Mm-hmm. But not during, obviously, during did the conversation. Did you say, why did you do that? Yeah. I, I mean, and he had no explanation. Just He just moves conversations, you know, conversations along. And so you call up Mar- Marla Maples and say, is this Trump? Was this Trump? He says he was John Miller. Well, I was trying to be a little bit more delicate. What happened when you did that? She cried. So she he was, was saying, I didn't want to give her a commitment. Yeah. He, and, he, and he talked about, you know, Madonna being after him and yeah. Kim Basinger. Oh, and sure. Just everyone calling. Oh, yeah, Carla, sure. I mean, who didn't call? What did you? And then he took you out after this? Yes. Uh, uh, took her out. Yes. With Marla. Fooling you? With with Marla and another editor from People magazine. He so admitted it, he took them out to dinner. Two people. So, okay, so that happened. And then when you <laughs> heard him to deny it, because he's still denying it this morning on the Today Show, what was your reaction? Well, I think he should come clean and apologize to me now. Because now it's suggesting that you, you misled. Exactly. Yeah, that I'm lying. I'm not lying. His denial was, you know, it was... That doesn't sound like me. It's, a, it's interesting, because if somebody called me up and said, did you call and pretend to be your own PR person, I would say, no, I never did. I, was, I have never done something like that, ever. I wouldn't say right. that doesn't sound like me. Right. So you, you, you don't believe him. Were you surprised to see him misleading? No, I'm not surprised to see him misleading. Of course not. I mean, I would probably be a little shocked that, you know, this came into my life. But, the, Megan, the main thing here is that I didn't leak the tape. What? Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. What did she just say? If she... Hold on. 
Sure. But the, Megan, the main thing here is that I didn't leak the tape. And there what? were two people on the conversation. Wait, you, t you taped it because you're a reporter doing yeah, your job? Yeah, and I lost the tape. Were you were the only one with a copy of the tape? Yes. You see how she asks great follow-up questions? You see what she does there? That is a great question. They never ask good questions. They never ask good questions. Good for you, Megan. That is a great question. You taped it because you're a reporter doing yeah, your job. Yeah, and I lost the tape. Were you were the only one with a copy of the tape? Yes. When did you lose it? Back 25 years ago. Did somebody have stolen it? No. It was in my house, and then I moved apartments. So who else would have had a copy of the tape? Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. So you're suggesting, you're suggesting Trump leak this to the yes. Washington Post? Yes. Did you hear her off-camera crew laughing because all of their minds just got blown? I'm going to play this back. This is this is this is gold right here. I lost the tape. Were you were the only one with a copy of the tape? Yes. When did you lose it? Back. 25 years ago. Did somebody have stolen it? No. It was in my house, and then I moved apartments. So who else would have had a copy of the tape? Donald Trump. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you're suggesting, you're suggesting Trump leak this to the yes. Washington Post? Yes. Now, why would they do that? Why? Hmm. You got me. He's um, really? Really? Because he loves publicity? Yeah. So you're suggesting that he may want us talking about this right now because it generates a news cycle, perhaps? Hello, Donald. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Exactly. Now, did he leak it himself? I don't know. That is uh, that is really something. Now, they are going after um, uh, the, Trump's, the Trump the, uh, whole team. Uh, here's Tapper. Let me move on because there's an issue having to do with you. Talking to uh, the guy that runs Trump's, Trump's campaign. Then I want to give an advisor, I guess, not run. To address, which is... Um, there's this 1992 report from the Center for Public Integrity, which listed your firm as one of the lobbying firms that profited most. In other words, we dug super deep to find somebody who dug something up on you. We've got a lot of people that are digging stuff up, and this is one of the first connections we've come up with. And we think it's a bit of a doozy. Here I go. In business with foreign countries in which there were human rights issues with how those governments treated uh -huh. their people. You were reportedly the closest political advisor, American political advisor, to Viktor Yanukovych of Ukraine, who's a close ally of Vladimir Putin. And now there are people in the national security apparatus who are saying that... The national security apparatus has questions. They have questions about Donald Trump now getting classified briefings. Now, this is gorgeous, right? Because we've all been hearing that Trump's now getting the briefings. So let's gin up a little fear, because this guy, this guy knows a guy who knows a guy who then worked with a company that's associated with a guy at Ukraine who knows Putin. Because of you, because of your close ties to Viktor Yanukovych and others, how do you respond to that? Well, there are so many different parts of that we said are wrong. Comrade, please. Are wrong. Uh, first of all, I don't see the classified briefings. Donald Trump sees the classified briefings. You're not in the room when he receives them? Not in the room when he receives them. He doesn't talk to me about them. So there's, there's a total barrier there. Secondly, I have no foreign, foreign clients now. I have no clients. I have one client, Donald Trump. Right, but you oh, have in the last decade. Some of those clients that you're talking about, if you go back and look, they were in concert with U.S. foreign policy. OMG, OMG, OMG. Oh, producer Matt, before the show even gets over. If you guys out there see a good Megyn Kelly clip, you got to grab it. I just thought that was kind of interesting. They're going after the Trump campaign. Now they're going after him pretty effectively. It's getting interesting. Speaking of going after political candidates, they're also going after the dog. And you knew that old Clinton Foundation, the uh, that global Clinton Foundation. What's that thing called right there? Gal? What do they call that? I want to be a part of that. Go get me a hotel in Haiti. In the meantime, they're digging up some dirt. All right, welcome back to The Lead. John Berman in for Jake. She is winning at math, but Hillary Clinton still cannot escape bad headlines. 
On the front page of today's Wall Street Journal, Charity Aids Clinton Friends. The story questions whether $2 million raised by the Clinton Foundation was steered to Democratic allies. CNN <laughs> senior Washington correspondent Jeff Zeleny <laughs> joins us now. Jeff, how, is, uh, how, is the, how are the Clintons responding to these accusations? <laughs> you know, John, President Clinton himself is uh, saying that this simply isn't true. Um, some reporters caught up with him on, on a rope line campaigning uh, last night and asked specifically if he'd denied if any uh, law was broken. And he said, oh, God, yes. So, but what the campaign is saying and people around it, they always knew that Clinton Foundation uh, was going to come back. Of course, that was a controversy last year in terms of how it received its money from, from uh, foreign governments, uh, from uh, wealthy donors, et cetera. So now it is coming back. But they say that this specific company, it's called Impact Investing, that they are, we're actually investing in a new energy company here to try and do good things, basically help people insulate their houses now, uh, the question is, this company has not uh, succeeded. It's uh, essentially defunct or now has a new mission here. But the, you know, there's no specific allegation that any laws were broken here. But it is one oh, okay. of those things. So much money floating around yeah. from so many donors. It does raise the question, you know, um, exactly this uh, foundation, uh, you know, is it going to be a problem politically uh, for Secretary it Clinton? And is. certainly uh, Donald Trump seized on it today. What did Donald Trump have to say about it I mean, today, Jeff? I mean, not surprisingly, you know, he went after this uh, specifically. Let's listen to a bit of sound I think we have from uh, this morning. He was on uh, Fox and Friends, uh, and this is what he said. Well, it's a bombshell. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> well, I assume you put the word charity in quotes. <laughs> so he said right there, uh, he you know, said the word charity should be uh, sort of put in quotes there for the Clinton charity. But look. Uh, Donald Trump is going to keep going after this. He's specifically going after one person who was one of those investors. You see now they've made it about Trump. They sort of deferred having to talk about Clinton. Hmm. Intentional? Who he believes is a or who is a close friend of the Clintons. He raised questions this morning how close of a friend she actually is here. So, Jake, this is just the opening volley in what really is a new I chapter agree. in this campaign as we have Donald Trump's audio tapes from 25 years ago. We have 24 years of new material here since Bill Clinton was elected that is going to be chewed after again and again and again. And Indeed. All right, Jeff Zeleny, thanks so much. This is bad news for, uh, for Bernie. Because, you see, this is just going to bolster that narrative that, uh, well, now that uh, it's a clear field for Trump, he's focusing on Hillary while Hillary's still battling. Hillary's still stuck in the murk of a, of a, of a thick pro- – I can't remember what I heard. I was trying to – I had a quote, but it's like Hillary's still stuck in the battle while Donald is, has moved on to the next level. And that kind of narrative will build and build and build. I don't know if – I don't know if Bernie will be able to say I, – I almost wonder if that's going to be Bernie's out too. Because at this point, it seems like it's probably going to happen. Uh, maybe he could say, well, for the betterment of the party. Maybe for the betterment of the party, I'll let Hillary get in. Because after all, Hillary and Bill, they got to they gotta pay the bills, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I got to pay our bills. Yeah, I got to pay the bills. Got to pay the bills. So if you got to pay off a few friends, after all, you know, Hillary and Bill, man, they just got to. I got to pay our bills. Got to pay the bills. So I, I could see how Bernie says for the good of the party and the good of the country because we can't let Donald get in. I'm going to step down. I could, uh, maybe. Besides, who wants that job? I mean, you're, if you're in Brazil, it's become a real shit show.
Let's turn our attention to Brazil now, where thousands have rallied in Rio de Janeiro, demanding Vice President Michel Temer step down. Demonstrators denounce the new government and express their frustration with the suspension of Dilma Rousseff. An investigation is underway into Rousseff, who is facing charges of breaking the country's budget laws during her campaign in 2014. Rousseff, who was the country's first female leader, says the interim government is illegitimate. What we have today in Brazil is a temporary government and a president elected by 54 million people. Therefore, the temporary government is illegitimate from the point of view of the people's votes. We will fight to come back. Meanwhile, Michelle Temer has been accused of having worked for U.S. intelligence. Oh. The revelations were published by WikiLeaks. RT's Nicolas Sanchez O'Donovan <laughs> is in the capital of Brasilia with the details for us. No, that's all. A cable published by the whistleblowing website shows uh, a document sent from the Brazilian city of Sao Paulo to the Southern Command based out in Miami. In that document, that email, Michelle Temer discusses uh, uh, the political situation down here in Brazil during the, the, the government of Lula da Silva. This is 2006. This first cable states that Temer met with uh, embassy officials to give his assessment on, on what the political landscape was in Brazil. You remember that when the Snowden documents came out that it was revealed that we were wiretapping her? <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why. I, I have one more clip for you. I love it when the uh, TSA gets uh, gets a little bit of a public uh, bashing, but I think this one, I think this one we had coming. We turn now to the ongoing travel nightmare in this country. The man who runs the TSA says the agency is doing all it can to cut the wait times at airport security checkpoints after an abysmal past few months. So, as you recall, an abysmal past few months, we talked about it here in this show, is those tests that went through where the TSA didn't stop nothing. They brought a whole bunch of weapons through TSA and they stopped nothing. And so now, the real thing that's happening, now of course they're not talking about this, well they do actually maybe give it a quick mention, a lot of airports are ready to kick the TSA out and just hire private contractors again, like they did before Bush started a jobs program called the TSA. And so the TSA has to show that they have upgraded their abilities, their capabilities, and their security. How do you demonstrate that? Well, the TSA is, we all know, security theater. So the way you demonstrate it is by screwing with you and making you wait longer. So that way you feel how much harder they're working. But he also told Congress today the TSA is struggling with a lot of turnover and the prediction for the summer is not good. Here's NBC's Tom Costello. The numbers tell the story. A record 2.2 million passengers each day, some days 3 million. But not enough TSA officers. 117 walk off the job each week, 35% within the first year. That's more than 6,000 officers. It's led to closed checkpoints and backups stretching one, two, even three hours at airports nationwide. We need more money. On Capitol Hill today, the TSA chief on the hot seat. A lot of upset people here today, and obviously we have a management problem at TSA. With lawmakers complaining about years of mismanagement. It's just a huge failing government program, and it will fail. Of in-house retaliation against whistleblowers. If there is retaliation, we have a major problem with that. And a $90,000 bonus for an assistant administrator. Those bonuses were given to somebody who oversees a part of the operation that was in total failure. 
On the job for just a year, TSA Chief Neffinger said another 768 screeners should be in place by late June. It's the carry-on baggage that is one of the major uh, slowdown points uh -oh. in the checkpoint. But tonight, travel pros are warning families the coming summer will be rough. Their advice, pay the $85 and sign up for TSA PreCheck, which speeds travelers through the screening process. That's another thing this is all about. With shoes and belts on, laptops in the bag. TSA also urging companies to sign their traveling employees up as well. Yeah, that's exactly what this is about. Oh, is that, uh, is that so? Are you... Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, gosh, I guess we'll be sure to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the TSA, as you can, as you can probably guess. For me, it feels like, uh, feels like they're just basically trying to make everybody, everybody feel more safe, but they don't actually bring any actual security in. They just sort of are security theater. If you've ever seen uh, Adam Ruins Everything, I think it was an Adam Ruins Everything, there's a pretty good, uh, pretty good take on the TSA. And he also covers some of those stats. Thank you to producer Matt for banging together a whole bunch of clips for us so we could get something out this week. We're going to have the unfiltered production pipeline down on Wednesday. So there won't be a regular Wednesday show. So we wanted to get something because our patrons matter. And we know you guys like to have a little update when we can. <sighs> Don't even get me started about the TSA at trains, Arch. Don't even do it. It's trying to fire me up at the end of the show, guys. I was just in the middle of telling the people about the things. You can email the show, unfilteredjupiterbroadcasting.com. Or, you know, if not, you can do that subreddit thing, unfiltered.reddit.com. Also, we always check the Patreon mail when you're a patron over there. Stay tuned for the overtime coming up in uh, just a little bit. We have uh, a few more things coming up in the show. Now, before I go, I'm also going to mention that... The Unfiltered Show won't be here. Oh, I already did, on Wednesday. <clears throat> but we will be live on Wednesday next week. Check the calendar, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. I do have to get going, because it is indeed. Overtime, right here, right there. Let's go, everybody. That's how we, go. That's how we roll. This overtime because it's just Monday. It's a quick list. Thank you to Mindbender44 and Joe, our new patrons since last unfiltered. This is for you and all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Okay, so I had one clip that remember I said I had a lot of fun clips? Well, this is another one of them. Uh, I just thought this is super amusing because if you think about the for an American, the concept of a queen is is it's kind of out there. So this whole idea sort of blows my mind. So I love this next clip. Oh, boy. Talk about an embarrassing international incident. Queen Elizabeth caught on camera criticizing the Chinese government. The British monarch was heard talking to a police official at an event at Buckingham Palace that uh -oh. marked her 90th birthday. That police official talking to the queen about being on duty for the state visit by the Chinese president. Let's listen. Can I present Commander Lucy Dawson? 
gold commander when the Chinese state visit. Oh, and he was seriously, seriously undermined <laughs> by the Chinese. Well, I'm not sure whether you knew, but it was quite a testing time for me. I did. It was, uh, I think at the point that they walked out of Lancaster House and told me that the trip was off, I felt... Uh, very rude, the ambassador. They were. Well, she was, yes, their barber, she was with me, and uh, they walked out of very rude and very undiplomatic, I thought. Very rude. And then very rude and undiplomatic. I bet some phone calls are being made today. Well, the Chinese president oh goodness, and his wife guys. visited the UK back in October. Oh, my Scott? goodness. Hey, the queen calls him like she sees him. <laughs> she sure does. Oh, those Chinese. They're rude anyway. I don't know why I love that clip so much. I just did. This next one, though, I'm really glad to finally have this in clip form. I've been noticing that your buddy, my friend, our good buddy, James Comey, has been saying something over and over again that we just haven't had a chance to talk about on the show. But it's a hell of a thing to say. And that is that social media is making the popo afraid to police. And Obama says that's crazy. The director of the FBI is breaking ranks with President Obama over concerns that police are behaving more cautiously and less effectively because of fears over viral videos. The president maintains there's no evidence of that, but Chief Washington correspondent James Rosen reports from the White House tonight that many people blame the phenomenon for an increase in crime. Police call it the Ferguson effect, even though no video footage surfaced of a Missouri officer shooting and killing an African-American man in what was later ruled a justified use of force, the ensuing riots in Ferguson and the emergence of cell phone footage in other racially charged cases marked by riots, such as the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore, have combined to create what FBI Director James Comey alternately terms the viral video effect. Uh There's a perception, Comey told reporters Wednesday, Mm -hmm. that police are less likely to do the marginal additional policing that suppresses crime, the getting out of your car at two in the morning and saying to a group of guys, hey, what are you doing here? You think you think it's social media or do you think it's the fact that you're not paying them what they're worth or that there's so much crap going on? I This, this is brilliant. This is at the top levels of the government. This is them glossing right over, just giving some lipstick right on top of what's probably a form of of silent protesting, where the cops are just opting to do less than they used to do now because of some reason. I don't even know what it is because they're glossing over it. There really is an, un, an undeniable chilling effect on officers' willingness to go out of their way to do above and beyond the call of duty. And I think that when, when officers do that, the community suffer. So they're literally looking at officers' off-duty participation and they're charting it with Twitter's user growth. Comey drew rebuke from President Obama last fall when the director warned of a chill wind blowing over law enforcement. I spoke to officers in one big city at a precinct house who described being surrounded by young people with mobile phones, video cameras rolling (laughs) as they step out of the car, taunting them, asking them what they want and why they're there. (laughs) They described a feeling of being under siege. We have not seen any evidence of that. And I think the FBI director would be the first to say that he's heard anecdotal suggestions that that may be happening in selective sites, but we don't know. Again, the White House disputed the FBI director, saying law enforcement should be based on facts and evidence and not anecdotes. So what we have before us then is the spectacle of the FBI director twice in six months uh, before the national press making assertions about crime and incidences of crime 
that are in the view of the White House based not on the facts or the evidence. It's because he's totally hustling. He's trying to hustle you. He's trying to hustle all of us, and he's getting ahead of he's getting ahead of something. He's painting a picture for something to cover for something else. But on anecdotes, um, and doing so in a very public way. And so the resulting question is why this doesn't shake your confidence in the FBI director. Well, I think in part because the FBI director actually made clear that he didn't know exactly what was going on either. He said, why does Dallas see a dramatic spike and Houston doesn't? The White House said crime levels remain at or near historic lows, but a recent analysis by the Washington Post found homicides in the country's 50 largest cities rising by some 17 percent, with 36 of those cities seeing more homicides last year than they did in 2014. Doug? Hello, everybody. OMG, OMG, OMG. Now, I got some really heavy stuff, but because we're doing a super tight show this week, even the overtime is pretty compressed, I don't want to necessarily bring you down. But if you're fascinated by the drone program, we have a great clip in the supporter sync. And if you are a Patreon, you can go over there and grab that. Get the supporters bit towards We will be revamping that system. I am looking for suggestions on what to revamp to. Uh, so I'm going to hopefully get uh, up to snuff on some of the different options on our on our down day when I replace some things. That's not one of the things I'll be getting to because I want to be I want to do that one carefully. But I'll start looking into serious solutions this Wednesday. So if you have a suggestion, let me know. What do you guys think about this hyperloop? Huh? A lot of a lot of naysayers out there, but they have completed a successful test. A successful test. Here it goes. Watch. So this right here is just like the uh, platform, and it's not going too far down, but it's a pretty big deal. So that would be the. There you go. They're just showing you the visual of the platform that the uh, train would ride on top of. There's actual multiple companies now competing for this title, too. A Hyperloop, I find it interesting. As somebody who's an RVer, uh, I'll let you commuters have that. I prefer the open road. I can definitely see how it'd be useful in California. Holy moly. Or Texas. Down in Tejas. Okay, I don't know what to make of this next story. You know, as the FBI and the CIA and our counterterrorism officials have now worked more closely with our partners across the pond after their recent terrorism strikes, it's kind of funny that you would think the story I'm about to play for you is from a U.S. news outlet. But it is, in fact, from across the... It's like the same playbook, though. It's really something. A fake bomb caused a very real panic today in England. Just before Manchester United's Premier League soccer match, police discovered a suspicious package and evacuated the 75,000-seat stadium. Players from both teams were taken off the pitch and kept in the locker rooms. Bomb experts exploded the device. And then they determined it was a dummy oh. that had been left over accidentally from a counterterrorism 
training exercise. Which uh, we'll get more details coming up in this BBC report. And it was kind of a bit unnerving because we didn't know what was happening, you know, and uh, we made it out, so better safe than sorry. Oh, yeah. No one oh, yeah. was hurt. The match no. was rescheduled for Tuesday. Okay, now the BBC. One of the most well-known football stadiums in the world was evacuated on Sunday after an object resembling a bomb was found in the stands. Manchester United's last game of the season was called off at Old Trafford. The bomb disposal squad carried out a controlled explosion, but police did later say that the suspicious item had in fact been a training device left behind by a private security company. Oh, Andy Swiss reports. You get the idea. Uh, kind of, uh, kind of funny, isn't it? Hmm. Sounds like that would be a story out of here, right here in the U.S. You'd think, right? Like I swear, like when I heard that story, I was like, what, what, what? Oh, okay. That's not. That's not here in the U.S. Okay, one more clip in the uh, supporters' overtime show. And I, I got to tell you, it's my favorite of the show. It's my absolute favorite. And I just got to say, the Unfilter Show does not encourage this behavior. But if you do this, take a selfie and send it to unfilter at jupiterbroadcasting.com. A bizarre scene in Los Angeles tonight. Take a look. A man climbed an iconic TV tower, all the while telling police he was fine and, quote, didn't need help. He was seen smoking and talking on a cell phone. Cops had to shut down traffic on busy Sunset Boulevard. Police were able to talk him down. He's now getting a mental evaluation. The station says they will not press charges. That is awesome. If you do that, like I said, we don't encourage it. But that would be hilarious. Okay, that's all I got for you this week. I hope you enjoyed like the uh, super short packed episode feel myself coming down with something now. I gotta go get some water, so I'm getting out of here. Thanks for being here. Thank you to our patrons, patreon.com slash unfilter, and we'll see you next week.